You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. It's much more powerful when the church and parents kind of combine and work together. We see a lot more fruit than we do if it's, frankly, just the church doing it. I think you get the chance to teach them that you can love and care as Jesus did with prostitutes and tax collectors and everybody else and still hold to your biblical value. Parents would say, well, my kids understand what my what my expectations are. And then I would ask the kids and they would go, I have no idea what my parents' expectations are. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to express expectations and be really clear with our kids because mostly, not all, but mostly our kids want to please us. Hey, this is Adam Griffin. I'm here with my co-host, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. How are you doing today, Cassie? I'm doing great. So glad to be here. Oh, with great. Your, your, like, hero. You're... Well, yeah, we'll get into that here in a second. But also, mm-hmm. my hero, Chelsea Griffin, is here today. Chelsea, how you doing? I'm also one of your heroes. That's true. Super glad to be here. Excited to talk with Jim. Yeah, me too. Hey, guys, guess who's in the studio with us today? It's author, father, parent extraordinaire, Mr. Jim Burns of Homeward.com. Hey, Jim, Woo-hoo! welcome. So glad you're here. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm so glad to be with you. I thought it was just going to be you and me, Adam. I didn't know we had your other heroes here. So oh, yeah. We like to surround you. This is kind of like the, the the surprise surprise party in the podcasting world. There's a ton of us. Speaking That's of surprises, awesome. Jim, they already alluded to this. You will not know this because you will not remember any time we've ever met, but we've met a handful of times because I used to go to the Youth Worker Convention every year. And your book, which when it originally came out called Youth Builder, which now I think is called Uncommon Youth Ministry, uh, the Lord used that book when I was in college to give me a, a vision for, a dream for what it could look like to be in youth ministry. And really, I was studying education at the time, read that book in one of my classes at the Christian school I was going to, and it changed the trajectory of my life, going, I love what this man's describing. I want to be for teenagers. And wow. it really had a powerful impact on my life. So really, I wanted to bring you on here just to say that and say, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for Jim Burns. Wow. You know, I um, I kind of have like chills. We call them in uh, in Guatemala chicken fingers. I don't know why they <laughs> call them that. Anyway, thank you. I mean, that really, that honestly means a, a great deal. Youth ministry is wonderful. And even today, I got a text this early this morning from two people who had been in my youth group. They're now in ministry. They were in the Holy Land together. And it was to me and Doug Fields, because it would have been, he was in middle school when I was uh, his youth pastor. Yeah. And they they wrote us and said we're in the Holy Land and and you know thank you so much you know we're and wow. we're friends we're the same I'm I'm just a little older than them I think I was yeah. a youth pastor to them like when I was twenty so you know <laughs> they were eighteen what can yeah. I say I had that wow. experience this last week where I saw some of my old kids from my student ministry and their kids are older than my kids and I'm like this doesn't even make sense I know I, don't even I, I have that too that's weird I have, I wrote a book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children and yeah. these people from my youth group are going, hey, thank you. You know, my adult child is, you know, 30. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. <"What> the heck? <laughs> That's the beauty of being in ministry for a long time, I feel no, like. No, it is. Like it you finally start is. to see the fruit, you know, it, especially it, next-gen ministry. It's not yeah. immediate. It's like decades later you get to see. No, no. I mean, you know, they come up to you after you've worked hard at a retreat and they go, uh, I need to talk to you. Do you have any more gum? I saw you were chewing gum. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for this. But they come back, honestly, so true. 10 years later you know, 15 years later now for me, even more. And, uh, and they say, thank you. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And it's so humbling when I live in the same area where I did ministry. And so I run into these people and it really is a, 
a humbling thing for people in ministry who stay who stay in it long haul and yeah. you know, hopefully finish well. Amen. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Well, I want to talk more about that book specifically here in a second. I think it's going to be so helpful for me, for our listeners. But before we do, for anybody who didn't grow up reading a Jim Burns book, wasn't reading, going to your conferences, would you tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your ministry? Well, I'm the president of an organization called Homeward, and we have four values, strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. And it actually came out of the youth ministry movement. When I was in my 20s, I started speaking for an organization called Youth Specialties, which I was way too young, but I have the same hairdo as you. And uh, <laughs> so people thought I was older, I think. And um, in that, I kept saying to my youth specialty friends, Mike Iaconelli and Wayne Rice, I said, you know, we need to help parents too. And they'd go, hey, it's hard enough to work with kids. But over the years, I wrote a book a long time ago that wasn't that powerful, really, but it was called Partnering with Parents in Youth Ministry. I know it. Yeah. That was that changed the trajectory for me, which changed the trajectory for Homeward, where we started moving from just focusing on, on youth ministry. And actually, for me, speaking to kids, I was doing, what, 250,000 kids a year speaking. Wow. Um, but then we moved to parenting, trying to help parents. And yeah. we felt like we could help parents. If we could help parents help their kids, then that was even better. Or I even remember one time, I mentioned Doug Fields, who, you know, is kind of the guru of youth ministry now, but he and I were, he was my intern and we, we laughed because these parents would drop off their kids and then they would go to brunch or they would go to, you know, at youth group, they would go to dinner. And I, and I said one time, you know, if the kids could drop off the parents, I think we could do a better job because we can help these parents. They're the ones who are messed up, right? But today, you know, that's what we do. We try to help families succeed. We try to help parenting succeed. We still do things for kids to empower them, but we realize it's much more powerful when the church and parents kind of combine and work together. We're, we see a lot more fruit than we do if it's, frankly, just the church doing it. Yeah. What does your family look like? Well, they're beautiful. They look, <laughs> we have three, Kathy and I have three adult daughters and three son-in-laws and three wow. grandkids. Oh, okay. and, oh nice. Uh, Anyway, it's pretty it's pretty cool having them. Uh, well, you can't see them. There they are. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's pretty cool. We have a big birthday party tomorrow, so they're all there. I have one daughter who lived in New York. She kind of married a rock star guy. I mean, honestly, his group fronted for you too. And, uh, and she knew him from a Christian college that they met. And then he fled the coop because the band got, you know, they just, it just busted out. And uh, so they got married later, but she lived in New York. And now that group and him, he's decided to come back to LA. Mm -hmm. So we live in Orange County, but everybody lives within a hour of each other. So we great. We get a lot of fun time together. Dream. And yesterday we took our granddaughter who turned five yesterday to Frozen. So we and what's funny is last minute it's 830 and I go, we need to get her a frozen dress. And and I've never even seen the movie Frozen, right? So um, we go to H&M, you know, and, you know, I'm in my 60s, but I'm, I'm not one who frequents H&M a lot. Although I kind of went, God, that's kind of a cool jacket, maybe. But anyway, we buy, they had frozen dresses. We, I looked it up and I was so glad we did because there were a thousand other girls in frozen dresses. Oh, good. But we had the tiara. So, nice. You know, that was a solid grandpa move. It was a cool grandpa, grandma move with our five, with our five-year-old. And she just, uh, she just kept... And she told us, I like, for, I totally didn't know the story. So I'm like, she goes, he's the bad guy. And I I figured he as the good guy. 
And so I was in shock when he actually was the bad guy. Oh, man. At the end Disney the does it again. <laughs> Disney. Well, way to score major points as a, as a grandpa. Jim, I just read your book on parenting an adult child that you mentioned before, and I, I yep. loved it. It's fantastic. And though I don't have adult children yet, yep. it was really shaping some thoughts for me. And a, yep. a lot of the parents who listen to our podcast have young children. Sure. So they may read your book maybe as more of like a cautionary tale of what yep. they hope doesn't happen. Do you find a lot of young families asking about how to prevent things like you talk about in the book, yeah. like failure to yeah. launch, walking away from the faith, walking no, away exactly. from the family. Yeah. I mean, when your kids are really small, I mean, I speak mainly to next generation parents, not necessarily to oldies, although I'm laughing, I'm doing a grandparenting conference tomorrow. And I said to some of my staff, yeah, I used to talk to kids. Now I talk to you know people <laughs> who look like me, but you know, I, I think the bottom line, and I don't care if they're two, five, 15 or adults is that you want them to become responsible adults. And I'm going to, I'm going to add who love God. So you have to parent in the way, whether they're two, five, 15, very different ages, but you still parent them to become a responsible adult. And if not, they'll become entitled. We enable dependency on them. And of course we're, I mean, we're doing most everything for a really young kid, but by the time they get to be adults, um, we actually, I'd say to them, you're fired as a day-to-day parent. And it's a freak out for, I mean, if somebody would have told me when my kids were, they were two years apart, all girls. So we had no drama or hormones in our <laughs> life. Girls. But if somebody would have told me that I was going to be fired as a day-to-day parent, I would have gone no way. But actually at about 18, if I didn't fire myself, they were going to fire me because they're going, Hey, I'm an adult. So treat me like an adult. And I'm going, yeah, we're still paying for your cell phone. We're still, you know, <laughs> taking care of, you know, college education. I think I paid for your call, your car insurance, but truly what I needed to do was help launch them. Cause I didn't know how to be a parent of an adult child and they didn't know how to be an adult, to be honest, my three girls anyway. So yeah, I think you get them started at a young age, but I don't think there'll be many people who are next gen people. I think they'll read other books of mine, but next gen parents who are, you know, with the younger kids, they got to keep it in mind. Yeah. It's still responsible adulthood. That's what's crazy. Whether at whatever age, and, and we're just trying to parent by circumstance and chance. So a lot of us need, you know, more of a plan. You know, we, you know, I remember with us, we'd go, wow, it's Thursday. We made it. You know, Kathy and I put them to bed and then we'd wake up on Friday and go, oh, wow, we got to do this again for like years and years. We're exhausted, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, it goes by fast and, and we do need to have a a, a strategy somewhat. And so I'm, I always laugh at the amount of people who are at our, you know, adult children uh, seminars who, who have younger kids and they yeah. come up, they're the ones who come up and go, Hey, this was so good. Thank you. And I'm yeah, like, I was blessed what? by it big time. Cool. 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 Okay. My strategy is I tell my youngest almost daily, you're going to take care of me when I'm old. Right? <laughs> right. So that's how I keep the perspective yeah. of like, you're going to be the adult taking yeah. care of me Yeah. in a short, it's going to feel shorter than it is. But uh, in your book, you say we will spend more time as a parent of an adult child than yeah. we will as the parent of a young child and adolescent. Uh, that blew my mind. I have never oh. really thought about the amount the, oh, the time and that perspective. And I don't think many young families are thinking about that. Right. Uh, how does that fact change the way that we think about raising our kids when they are still in yeah. our homes? Well, you know, I mean, it really does. It re- we're trying to help them to become independent. And that's it's, it goes against our counterintuitive. I mean, when you've got a little one, you're not thinking that. I mean, I do. I wasn't thinking that. And I, I, I had hopes that all three of them would, all three of the girls would, you know, take care of me. And, you know, I, I only have like, well, I have one, we always say, Christy's going to come in and boss us. She's our oldest. Our youngest is going to send her, uh, you know, maid because she'll probably have a lot of money. 
we said this when she was little. We go, our only chance is that, you know, our Rebecca in our middle is going to, you know, wipe our nose. And she's the one who just moved from New York. And I don't think she's going to do it. So get ready. <laughs> I'm just saying, figure out another way. But no, I, I think it does change the way you look at it in terms of, I mean, for one thing, as I, I didn't learn that in my head until I was, you know, a little older, but I, it also changed the way I was going to do marriage. Cause you know, Kathy and I had too much of a child focused marriage for too long. Mm. And, and I would speak against child focused marriages. And then I would go, wait a minute, you know, all of our energy and time is going there. And then when we're exhausted, we give each other a little bit of time. And I realize there's single parents who are awesome, by the way. Right. But with, with us, I found that one phrase that you asked Cassie was for me going, wow, I'm going to spend more time with Kathy in the empty nest than I am going to have having kids. So I need to make sure that that thing is good. Cause on the empty nest side, I find that there's a lot of people who, you know, their kids, you know, flee the house and all of a sudden they look at each other and go, Whoa, we have nothing. Cause we even buried marriage stuff under the mat. And so now not only did they lose their kids, which is a huge loss, to be honest. I mean, it's loss and grief. I talk about this, you know, when I write or speak on it and people go, yeah, but now you got it. Something you're looking at this person going, I don't even know you. I mean, I liked you a long time ago. And then we, became chauffeurs going in different directions and trying to figure out how, you know, to manage the kids. And we wake up now going, are, are, you know, are we, do we want to spend the rest of our life? And one of the reasons why the only demographic where there is divorce, you know, the divorce rates going up is the grant, what they call the graying of divorce. And that's 50 and over. Hmm. Wow. I think that's because they didn't pay attention to it. So that might be a different answer than what you're looking for, but I think it's a really important answer. Yeah, that's really helpful, honestly, Jim. And one of the things I was really excited about talking about with you is this idea of this generation of parents thinking both about their kids as kids yeah. that'll be in their home for a long time, but what does that mean yeah. for their marriage after they've moved out? But also thinking about now in this generation, yeah. a lot of the complications we have are with young parents thinking about their parents. And I, that's why I love yeah. the, the subtitle of your book, which is keep your welcome mat out and keep your mouth shut. It's so brilliant. But one of the things in, in that chapter that you talked about being fired as a parent, you talk about the changing role yeah. of a parent. One of the quotes that really stuck out to me, you said, you are a consultant at their will. Your job is to be caring and supportive of your child, to mentor only when called upon and to be your child's biggest cheerleader. Being intrusive means inserting yourself into your child's life in ways that are uninvited or unwelcome. Not being intrusive means promoting your child to full adult status and developing a new adult-adult relationship while at the same time being encouraging and supportive. And I think as I read that, I thought, man, there's probably so many of our listeners who wish that was true of their parents. Of their parents, right. So what I what I would love to ask you is like outside of maybe the passive aggressive, hey, mom, dad, I bought you a book about right. keeping your welcome mat out and keeping your mouth shut. How do you help us navigate from the spot of a young parent thinking about their grandparents now, their, their kids' grandparents? Yeah. How do we invite them into that kind of be a big cheerleader, right. don't be intrusive? Uh, what do you think? Right, right. Right. Not easy, by the way. I mean, yeah. that's not an easy answer. And by the way, that that writing, I was like, wow, that's good. I wrote that. <laughs> funny you wrote something. Darn. No, and it is funny. Younger parent, when I'm doing the line of the, you know, signing books or whatever, which always is kind of awkward, people come up to me and they go, and I'll look at them and I'll go, you can't be a parent of an adult. And they go, oh, no, no, no. This is for my mom. Please write it to Claire. She really needs this. It says unsolicited. <laughs> and, and they relate to the principle number two, which says unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. Yeah. And I, and I get that because the, the parent is going, you know, they're, they are adults and they're going, wait, you don't trust me that I'm an adult because you keep giving me advice. So I think 
parents have, you know, the, I think it's the responsibility of the parents to learn how to reinvent their relationship. Yeah. But a lot of parents don't do that. They go right back into control, like when their kids were, you know, like 11. So I think we have to say mom and dad, I not in the heat of the battle. And that's where we make the mistake. But I think we put, take them aside. We maybe even we take them out to dinner and say, hey, here's how what I'd love to see from you guys and give them praise. And, you know, they did a good job. They wiped our noses. They changed our diapers. They took us to dance recitals and little league practice and stuff. But I think we praise them and then say, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Now, that sounds so cool and simple. It's not cool and simple because, you know, a sinner marries another sinner and then you right. have sinnerlings and you've got them on going sinnerlings. in every direction. <laughs> but I think we've got to tell them, you know, when I was in high school, I played basketball and it's funny cause I'm, you know, five foot 10. So I would never play basketball again. But, um, the coach said, we need to do this play to see if they play zone or man to man. I go, why don't you just ask them? And the coach goes, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. So for the re- whole entire senior year, I asked them before the game, I'd, I'd shake the guy's hand and go, hey, do you guys play zone or man to man? And they would say it. I was the point guard. So I put up a one for zone or a two for man to man. And the coach would just shake his head. <laughs> what I'm saying is a lot of times we have disagreements with our parents. And by the way, when you get to be an adult, um, chi- children. Now you're dealing with parents who are sick or you're taking care of your, yeah. those parents and you're taking care of, you know, these adults in some ways who, you know, whatever, strayed or va- violated values. But I find that it's better for us just to simply adult to adult say, here's what I'm needing from you. Is it always going to work? No. I mean, in the book, I talk about a woman I know who, whose mom at 45, this woman is like a tech guru in the Silicon Valley has made bazillions and the mom's going, put on your coat. It's cold outside. And I go, what did you do? She goes, well, I kind of got mad at my mom and, and mom, I'm really capable of doing this. And then I I said, well, then what did you do? She goes, well, I put on my coat and I left. (laughs) So we're still tied into our parents. I mean, you know, it's crazy. I mean, there's a very well-known guy that I won't quote, but his dad died and he gets the time magazine of the year and he holds up the bust of his face and he goes, are you proud of me now, dad? Mm. Yeah, that's heavy when you start thinking about that in terms of we're we're playing out before an audience with our parents. And sometimes we get overly sensitive if they say, put on your coat, you know. Hey, friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order.
Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Jim, one of the biggest struggles we see in this generation is our propensity to enable our children. And we see a lot of entitlement in this generation. And you describe enabling as not letting kids experience all the consequences of their behavior. How how does letting kids experience hurt and hardship help us reach our goals as parents? Yeah, well, great question, by the way. Experience is a better teacher than advice. So Mm -hmm. I don't care if your child is five and you say, don't touch that hot burner. They're probably going to one time touch the hot burner. And guess what? They're not going to do it again. You know, when I was five, my my, uh, aunt, Teeny, said, do you want a a puff of my cigarette, right? So at five, I take the cigarette, I turn green, I barf. You know, it's ter- <laughs> terrible. Guess what? I never had, to, I never, I'm not saying this is what you do for kids. <laughs> oh, uh, I this is solid advice. To, to I, you know, experience was a better teacher. My parents could have said, don't smoke a cigarette. I probably would have. Aunt Tini handed me one and I was like, this is the grossest thing known to humankind. Right? <laughs> That's amazing. So I think the same thing with adult children. It's important for them to sometimes experience it and it's hard because I want to take care of them. I still am in the, I'm in that mode. I want to take care of my daughters. I want to take care of my son-in-laws. But the truth is I have to let them learn kind of the hard way. We actually call this tough love. Listen to what t- the defin- my definition of tough love goes this way. It's allowing them to experience the circumstances of their poor choices without getting in the way. Mm. And it's you don't shun them. You're not angry at them. You're not putting them down. You're just simply allowing the consequences to happen. And that's what happens when people help and not enable. If you're enabling, you're now enabling dependency. Yeah. For example, I just heard yesterday of a family that took out a big loan to help their kids buy a house, their adult kids to buy a house. Cool. But they're saying now the adult kids are saying we can't afford the payments. So can you lower the payments for us? Wow. Well, that they enabled depends. They shouldn't have bought as nice of a house. They shouldn't mm-hmm. have bought a house that the kids can't afford, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure they should have bought, put all that money into that house just yet because the kids are really young. They don't, you know, they need to kind of figure it out themselves. Um, sure, how cool that they have a house. But I think the parents made a mistake because they enabled dependency still on the parents. These the, the kids didn't do it. Now, I, I have no problem with parents helping their kids with finances or other things. I have a problem with them enabling them because that's where you get failure to launch. And really, that's where you get a whole generation of, you know, entitlement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things we hear a lot from from parents, uh, young kids and older kids, is just dealing with this regret and guilt. Yeah. And so I imagine this is, hits heavy. The older kids are, right? Once they've already launched. Yeah. What wisdom do you have for parents who are dealing with that and how to not dwell on it or dwell yeah. on what could have been better? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard because parents will. We did. We did. I'm For one thing, I say to parents, really good parents have kids who make poor choices. And you tend to find that, especially kids who are raised in the church, you tend to find that when they get away to college. All three of our kids bumped in college. And what I mean by bump, they didn't like go, they're not like, you know, drug addicts sleeping on the street, but they bumped. Like Christy said, 
in an article that she wrote for her school newspaper at a Christian school. I had to disown my parents' faith to own my own faith. Well, ow, you know, wait, we thought this is what I do. So, of course, my kids were going to have none of that. You know, everybody else's kids would, but not mine. And they did. So then we start, and Kathy and I went through guilt because we'd say, you know, at Easter, we went to Hawaii on that family vacation and there was a mission trip. We should have had them at the mission trip. In fact, Kathy just brought this up the other mm. day about how absurd it is, but yet that's how we were living. So we had to realize, you know, that we did good things and that's they still made choices just like we did when we were younger. However, I think it's important for parents to make sure that they are around what I call replenishing relationships during that season because I had a small group. I've, I've been in a small group for 21 years, and, and they have carried me at times, and I'm sure I've carried them. So during the time when one of our daughters, especially, who's now a Christian psychologist, but when, it, when one of the daughters sort of bumped with a bunch of other um, pastor kids, which was interesting, at her Christian school and made some silly decisions, I shared that with them. And I said, man, I, and, and, you know, that comes hard. It's hard for the guy who writes books on confident parenting <laughs> and all this other stuff to have a kid who's like not, you know, walking that way. But I think you win by, by talking it out, by being open, by being vulnerable, because then you get people to support you if you're trying to do it alone. Yeah. You know, the Bible even says, you know, confess your sins. This wasn't a sin. I, I wouldn't call Rebecca making some silly decisions a sin, but Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Yeah. And I think the healing comes sometimes through confession of your soul and, and um, you know, coming alongside. And we found it by being with other people. We, have, we, we chose mentors. We weren't raised in the church. So our parents weren't our parenting or marriage mentors, either one of them. So we found mentors. And I can remember one time sharing with them just as our kids were transitioning from teenagers to adults and they were being, you know, goofy. And they just laughed and go, oh, wait, that, that was us too. And I'm like, wait, really? Because their kids are were good and solid now, and they were involved in a different season. And you know what? That stage of life is for us now. Our daughter, Becca, got married in the summer in a destination wedding. And so the whole family was in Italy, and we were all around this pool, and they're all playing and talking, and everybody's interacting. Kathy and I are off to the side. And I just put my arm around her, and I go, look at this. It, it changed. Because they're in their 30s now, and they kind of got out of what we call emerging adulthood, which was really mm. tough for all of my kids. I think it's tough to be a Christian, to be raised in a Christian home. I mean, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I was on fire from the day I became a Christian. Mm. Not the case with my kids. Mm. And uh, That's good to hear. I went all over the place to your on your question, but, <laughs> meaning, but still meaning do it with, with people. Do this journey with people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and whenever possible, it's not your fault that your kids skin their knee. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, we've got uh, some friends, and I know we have some listeners who are parenting young children and who have conflict themselves with their own parents. And yep. they don't want to let their children be maybe exposed to some of their grandparents' decisions or way of life. Right. What wisdom do you have for situations like that? Yeah, good good question. And actually, it's a real personal question for us because my dad was an alcoholic, so we mm. didn't have my kids. I love my dad, and he was actually a functioning alcoholic, but we didn't want them necessarily to stay at their house because we were afraid if he was driving and drinking, yeah. which he did at times. We ne I never saw him drunk, but you know, you still, uh, you, you know, he's after you've had like a six pack, you're, there's something, you know, that could change. Right. Yeah. So I think you honor your parent, you protect your children and honor them whenever you can. And, and I think those two, honestly, you're protecting your children, you honor them. And yet it also gave us, because I come from a non-Christian background and so does Kathy, um, and fairly f dysfunctional on both sides. Mm. We we were able to love, show love to them 
they, they, our kids saw us love people who didn't live like us. But at the same time, we could say, well, you know, that's how, you know, Uncle David lives, but we don't live like Uncle David. Here's what we believe in the Bible. Yeah. So we were able to say, it's not this, it's this. Even when it comes to today's world of, you know, gender identity issues and things. So today's kid, the big question at our marriage seminars now are, you know, my kids have an uncle who's gay or an aunt who's a lesbian or, you know, somebody's transitioning all that. And I think it's really possible to be able to say, you know what, we love, be the people who love them the most. Yeah. But here's what our family believes and here's why. And now gives you a chance to talk about morals and values or sex education without burning on them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we have a, we have a uncle on Kathy's side who's, who's gay and he had a friend and had, hadn't had a birthday party, he said, since he was nine. So I said, we're going to have a birthday party for him. Hmm. And so he comes to the door. We have these silly little pointy hats and the, you know, things that you blow. I forget what they're called. And uh, we sing happy birthday. He starts crying. He's very emotional. And um, I'm going to call him George. And then we have dinner. It was his favorite meal. He loved Kathy's enchiladas. So we have these enchiladas. And then we bring out a cake from Costco. So we're not doing a big deal. And he he goes, um, in the middle of us singing, he goes to me, he goes, I thought you were Christian. I go, we are. Hmm. Yeah. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, guess who shows up? We invite him to Christmas Eve service and he comes. Yeah. And I think it was, it wasn't changing our way. But you know what? My girls, by that time, who we were a little bit older, they went, this is cool. Mom and dad love somebody who we know. Dad writes books on, you know, sexual integrity. Mm -hmm. So he, dad, you know, we have different opinions, but we were able still to love. I'm not putting us up. I'm just simply going, yeah. I think you get the chance to teach them that you can love and care as Jesus yeah. did with prostitutes and tax collectors and everybody else and still hold to your biblical value. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So then talk to us about what role boundary setting uh, plays in having healthy multi-generational relationships. Well, boundaries are huge. You know, I mean, my one of, a guy who was an intern for me, actually, his name was Henry Cloud. He was an intern for me when I was a youth pastor, which is hilarious because now he's like the, you know, that book is sold, the book Boundaries has sold four or five million copies. But, you know, I think boundaries are really important. But, you know, fences, good fences make good neighbors. So you put you put some boundaries up there. So I think we help kids at every age learn that there are boundaries. So, and that's part of discipline. Yeah. When we think of discipline, we only think of, um, you know, do we spank or not spank? Do we put them on timeouts? Do we take away their cell phone? But actually, it's also boundaries. You know, here's, yeah. all kids are going to move from dependence on you toward independence, and they're going to color outside the lines. So, and some of that isn't horrible, to be honest. I hate to say this, but easy for me to say when my girls are now grown. Yeah. But the point being is when we have boundaries, then we've established expectations. When I, um, early on in my youth ministry days, parents would say, well, my kids understand what my what my expectations are. And then I would ask the kids and they would go, I have no idea what my parents' expectations wow. are. Hmm. So I think we have to express expectations and be really clear with our kids because mostly, not all, but mostly our kids want to, please us. Yeah. I think what you're talking about too applies so directly as well. Once you are an adult and your parents are, you know, you're, you're still your parents, the boundaries we have to set with our parents to say, Hey, this is the way our family is going to operate, or oh, totally. this is how our family is a little bit different. And, you know, establishing that with us when we're kids or establishing it with our kids, hopefully sets up a, a really safe relationship to be able to have those kind of conversations. And Adam, you bring up a great point with our parents too. Yeah. I know yeah. uh, with, uh, with Christy for the first child, his name is James. He was named after me. She didn't want any sugar in James. And I'm like the guy who's like, hey, do you want some ice cream? <laughs> Sneak a cookie. 
So it was so hard for me because I wanted to, you know, thrill James with what I can do with ice cream. And he was not, so we obeyed her. And then yeah. uh, she changed at about nine months because her husband kept handing him. <laughs> <laughs> and I would laugh because now I'm watching the husband wife thing, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, finally, finally, I, now I'm like, we can't give James any more sugar. He is like out of control. And then I go, <laughs> oh, but we're handing him back to mom and dad. So I guess that's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but honestly, we need, Kathy and I was really hard because there were some things, but Christy did a really good job of that saying, you know, she didn't want it at that point. Fantastic. Yeah. She's the, she's the mom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we're very engaged with our two grandkids because Kathy retired, actually her, her experience, uh, her expertise is working with kids who have autism and, and things like that. And she said she retired to become a fully engaged grandma. So she's watching mm. the kids two and three days a week and, and whatnot, the two kids. And, um, and with that we we are not the parents. So we have to do what they want us to do. Yeah. And a lot of times I find that our kids, one daughter, of course, doesn't have children yet, but the other two, they'll check in with us and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? But that's because I think in a good way, we're not, we're not trying to do that. And I, you know, I do a radio show six hours of the 20 or eight hours of the 20 hours a month for uh, New Life Live. It's a counseling, you know, call-in show, 2 million listeners a, a week. And because I, I'm me writing you know, adult children book, I, I get all the estrangement stuff. I bet. I think a lot of the estrangement is not the, the kids. I think it's the the parents who want to do the tit for tat and are still telling their, you know, 26 year old why they're so messed up. Hmm. Wow. Um, maybe they are messed up, but I think it's not the job of the parents to, yeah. you know, keep doing that. What would you tell our generation about how we can encourage and bless our parents and our, our kids' grandparents? Well, you know, you include them. If you can, whenever you can. And again, I realize it's weird because every, you know, parenting situation is different, but whenever you can include them, honor them. You know, my in-laws, I wouldn't call them the parents or the grandparents of the year. They're both dead now. So, you know, they can hear that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it goes back to, I, you know, my job was to protect them and, and I mean, protect my kids and honor them. And yeah. so I did that out of, Kathy knew that I didn't like go, oh, I want to spend every free moment with that family. And she didn't either. But the point being is that I needed to honor Kathy. And so I honored them. So, you know, like we always used to laugh that her mom said was I was the favorite person in the family from the mom. And I didn't kind of like her that much, but <laughs> she didn't know that. My job was to honor her. Yeah. I would come over and do anything for her. And even at the end, she was looking for me. She was in hospice and she's looking for me. She's looking for my you know, care and nurture and stuff like that. And so I went, you know what? I might be wiping her nose right now, but I'm doing that for Kathy, not for her. I mean, I was doing it for her, right. but that's what you do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and you show your kids that that's the way to do it because our kids weren't ones who always wanted to go over to that grandma. That's good. Yeah. Hmm. And, and again, sometimes you can't. And sometimes you just have to put on boundaries. And people who do lousy with, say their relational intelligence isn't very good, just like we talk about emotional intelligence. Well, then they they don't get good relationships anyway. So it's like, you know, see them a few times a, a, a week, I mean, a year um, or whatever, depending on where they live. And, uh, you know, send them cards, give them, you know, gifts and you'll be their favorite. And you're not putting any energy into it because you know that what you're experiencing, whether it be in your church or outside of your family or whatever, is awesome. But they don't get that. So, yeah. you know, there you go. Yeah. 
What encouragement do you have or what would you say to the young parents that are dealing with grandparent conflict because they are trying to disciple their kids? They're trying to raise their kids to know the Lord, and that is not going over well with the grandparents. It's interesting. I hear more of it that the grand. I hear from grandparents that their kids won't let them take them to church or whatever, and the kids mm. you know straight. So with this one, you continue to do that. You're in charge now, so you continue to do it with all that you can. If you, but maybe you don't have to do it in front of the grandparents. But the other thing that I would say is, is that like my grandkids, they don't have the boundaries that say my child, my own children have. So my grandkids, if they were in that situation, they they have it on the other side here of, of our family system. They're very vocal about their faith. I love this. What they say to, you know, the grandma and grandpa who don't, how come you don't go to church? You know, church is so good. It's so fun. You know, that kind of thing. Let the grandkids do the talking about it and not the parents, Hmm. but treat your, if if they're not, if your parents are not Christians or they're not um, blessing you or, you know, approving of what you do with your kids, then, you know, treat them like any other non-Christian, treat them with love and respect, but just don't get into it with them. And and then look for ways to, you know, to, to bring that up. But I don't think it's our responsibility. It's not your, if if your, your responsibility is to disciple your kids. It's not your, grandparents if they're if they're against it especially if they're with you it's cool because like we can't we, i have a book on from three to five year olds on sexuality and it's a book god made your body right so christy calls me up and goes hey james needs this book she was living in dallas at the time so um so i send her um and her husband the book and then i come about two weeks later and she goes dad i'm so glad you're here where is that book? Here, can you read it to James? And I go, can you read it? She goes, I was kind of chicken. It's a little awkward. Because <laughs> we're engaged in the discipleship with them, just yeah. on the opposite of your question, right, mm-hmm. Elsie, you know, in that. But it's harder when you don't have the blessing of your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard. Um, and my parents, they didn't understand it. They thought it was cool, but they didn't understand it, you know. Yeah. And when I first became a Christian, my mom, my, not my mom so much, but my dad was was really quite upset. My brother played for the Chicago White Sox. I was going in that direction uh, to, you know, play baseball. And he just thought I would throw my life away by being kind of a mm. Jesus freak or whatever. So I really didn't get the blessing. Later on, we won the blessing after years and years and years. Mm. Sometimes it takes, you're running a marathon. It's not a sprint. Sometimes the grandparents will see the difference that, they're like your great, you know, that question, whoever would have that question that the kids they're they're doing well and doing better than maybe others in the family system or whatever. I think they change that. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's evident. They'll go, wow, whatever they're doing with their kids is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that's the case. I hope there's a lot of parents who see their, their own discipleship of their kids as an opportunity to witness yeah. to the grandparents, to the, to the parents, but I'll do it in a way that is, like you said, like the scripture calls to do with anybody, always being ready to give an answer, but doing it with gentleness and respect yeah. and saying, I'm not going to relent in discipling my kids if my, if my grandparents, if their grandparents yeah. don't like it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm going to do it really respectfully. No, I think the word is respect. I, Adam, I really I agree. I remember once when, like my parents, by this time, weren't, when we had kids, they weren't, because we, it took us 10 years. We went through the infertility world and stuff. Mm. And uh, so 10 years out, so we'd been around, you know, as a couple. And I remember when our kids came into the picture and they didn't, my parents never prayed before meals or even at holidays. I mean, we're having things, they they didn't pray. We did at our house when they were there. And one time we're at our house and our daughter, Christy was probably four. And she goes to her grandpa, she goes, grandpa, why don't we pray here? Hmm. He goes, well, would you like to pray? And 
she just goes, as, you know, I'm four-year-old. There, It's an awesome prayer, right? And he's like, wow. He was kind of blown away. We never didn't pray again, but he never prayed. Hmm. It was our kids. And they didn't even ask us to pray. Yeah. It was cool. They'd go, okay, Christy, are you going to pray? And, you know, we had a couple of things where I think Rebecca one time prayed that grandma and grandpa would become Christians in the middle of the praying, <laughs> thanking for dinner. Nice. Like, oh, I love that. That's that, uh, that's that preacher trick of passive aggressively exactly. praying for people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They learn it early. I'm so grateful for you, Jim. I know that we could talk all day. I have so many questions about honoring grandparents, about leading the next generation. I know yeah. you're the man for it. So I'm grateful for Homeward. I'm grateful for your ministry. Thanks, Before man. we let you go, if we could bless you, what are ways that we could be praying for you, for the Burns family? Well, actually, we have a big birthday party tomorrow, and uh, Papa Jay is going to go speak to these grandparents, and then we're zooming back, and I have to bring pizza to the park. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that. But Homeward is actually going through the, you know, I'm 69 years old. We're going, we, and we're, our Homeward has made the decision to reach next generation parents. Great. So to do that, I like I just spoke at Mops International. I mean, they look at me and they see a bald headed old guy and they go, and then I can win because I spoke to kids, right? So if I can speak to kids, I can speak to, you know, moms right. and preschool. But uh, we're making the move towards uh, the succession plan where I'll still be a spokesperson, but it'll be, uh, we'll have, it'll look like the three of you and even younger um, who will be doing our podcast <laughs> and our awesome. blogs and things like that. I'll still do, I'll still have a part. Doug Fields will still have a part, but we're making the move. Our board met last week and we said, this is the move. So it's pretty exciting for us uh, around here. I would say in the next year to two years, Homeward, which does some great stuff and reaches a whole lot of people anyway, will have a very different look and feel. And um, it'll it'll sound like you all. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, you're, you are... You're the next generation who's going to be doing this. It's not going to be people like me. Well, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Doug Fields, too. You guys have done so much great work. And for those who are less familiar, maybe it's Homeward, W-O-R-D, W-O-R-D, yep. Homeward. And you can find more from Jim there. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Great to be with all three of you. Really, honestly, a lot of fun. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us, you can join the conversation. The Family Discipleship Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we are looking forward to all God has for us. This spring, we'll see you again next week.